0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Bill O'Reilly is on the line. You can hear him right here on WABC. His show Common Sense airs from 9 to 10. Journalist, author, television, radio, he does it all. Welcome back, Bill. And a
3: new book, too. Oh, yeah? Cool. That's what I heard, a rumor.
2: Bill, is that is that rumor true?
3: Yeah, we announced today that the upcoming uh,
4: killing book out in September is "Killing the Witches,"
2: Salem witches of
4: Salem, Massachusetts.
2: Ooh, I'll read that one. That sounds great.
4: Oh,
5: see, I, I
2: thought you, you, you were going towards uh, all, uh, Hillary Clinton, but okay. I'm making my way through no, them one no. by one, Bill.
4: <laughs> the uh, the witches is a different kind of book, but it gets into the real founding of this country. Hmm. And what happened on the Mayflower and how it all went awry, pretty grisly. But uh, you can handle it, Laura. I know you can.
2: I can handle a little grisliness. When does it come out?
4: September 26th. I'm almost finished writing it now, um, but not quite. Okay. But it is going to be a big a surprise to a lot of people.
2: Perfect for ha- so, uh, Halloween uh, as well. Good timing.
4: Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm a little upset about the synagogue. uh, uh attack in new jersey but i'm i'm looking at it in a different way now what's that Um, this is the
2: one in bloomfield new jersey over the weekend where a guy with a ski mask threw a molotov cocktail in the middle of the night uh little damage but go
4: yeah but you know when you say a little damage little damage to the building but a lot of damage to um jewish people and americans who don't want this kind of hatred uh to be continuing but in the past i took a look at it from a micro point of view of anti-Semitism has always been here. If you trace it way back to uh, its historical uh, roots, uh, you'll find that Jews have always been under siege and it continues to this day. But in America, I have another viewpoint now. I think that mental illness is on the rise. Mm. And rather than the Nazi kind of anti-Semitism or the Russian kind that we saw in the programs, these incidents aren't organized. They're generated by people who are mentally ill. And, you know, when I see the homeless camps uh, and, and the violence that we have in uh, our, our country, it seems to me that something has happened, whereas more people now are capable of hurting other people than ever before. And I think it's a mental illness. Anybody that throws a Molotov cocktail at a temple in the middle of the night is mentally ill. Yeah. It's not a sane person you're going to have dinner
3: with. Well, so, Bill, let me give you a revelation. Maybe Tony Carbonetti can uh, uh, opine to it. Uh, Tony Carbonetti, you were chief of staff to Rudy Giuliani uh, for... Uh, the eight years he was mayor. The last how two and many, a half, yes. How many, how many mentally ill people were in hospitals during that period of time?
5: Well, the mayor was actually very adamant about people living on the street, people causing, committing crimes. Forty, forty-five thousand, 45,000, roughly well, back then? You know how
3: many there are now? 3,000. Because future mayors or whatever took took all that the mentally be. ill and reclassified them as homeless and threw them on the streets of New York.
5: And now they live amongst us. Yes. But you're mentally ill if you want to live did on you, the street.
3: Did you, Bill O'Reilly, did you know that statistic? I didn't know the stat. And I think that's absolutely the cause.
4: Because mental illness and, and uh, substance abuse go hand in hand. And so you can be both mentally ill and a heroin addict.
5: Obviously. Correct.
2: Do you think that's linked to why we're seeing more Asian hate crime as well? Just crazy people lashing out for whatever twisted reason?
4: It's not generated by any rational hatred of uh, Asians. The rational is the wrong word. But any targeted, more than it's the perpetrator's mental illness. Now, where does that come from? I think it comes from the dysfunctional families that have risen over the last 50 years into a crisis in America, a crisis that's not talked about because the government has no solution to this. Government can't go into the house and demand that the parents be responsible or the father doesn't abandon the children. Government can't do that. All right. But we have seen a dysfunctional family problem rise when I was a kid, The family was beaver cleaver, father knows best. Everybody in my Levittown neighborhood were together. Divorce, very rare. Children had two parents. The parents weren't always the best, but they were there. Now, I think a lot of the mental illness and the emotional maladies that we're seeing stem from chaotic families. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist or a doctor. I'd have to see studies to back it up. But I suspect that's where all this anger and hatred is coming from.
6: There's another, uh, respectfully, there's another angle to it, too. You have a whole uh, cottage industry of race hustlers who make money out of this. Uh, religious groups, like, for example, the New York City Council wants to have a, a bill now uh, creating a, uh, a street name after Elijah Muhammad and the black Muslims. So that's part of their culture,
0: and he was a notorious anti-Semite. Right,
6: it's part of their culture. Anti-Semitism was part of their culture, and Al Sharpton, at the very beginning of his career, was a notorious anti-Semite. Yeah, and you, people, you
3: know what I, I want to know from? Where are all these drugs uh, in that they want to legalize marijuana? That they want to legalize? Where did this all come from? Now I just got a text: the country, the the uh, province of Vancouver. What was the. They wanted to legalize hard Hard drugs. Hard drugs. I mean, where. Bill O'Reilly, you're, you know, you're, well, you're not as old as I am. You're a little younger than I am. Where does all this crap come from?
4: Well, that came from uh, the Woodstock crew, the progressives that never really grew out of it in the Vietnam era, that think pot is great and pot was this and pot is that. Um, I just want to make one comment on Elijah Muhammad. I know. This story inside and out because he's the guy and his son Herbert who ruined Muhammad Ali, one of the people I write about in killing the legends. And Elijah Muhammad not only is anti Semitic, he's anti white. Right? Caucasians, no. And just to prove that, Louis Farrakhan runs that operation now. Alright, the Nation of Islam. Where Ali unfortunately joined it and they killed him. And that's what a big portion of Killing the is all about. Now, to the, the drugs, um, I get letters all the time from people who say, well, I smoke pot and it doesn't hurt me. And so, therefore, they're okay with legalization of pot. And I say everybody is different. If you're a dysfunctional person, if you have, uh, you know, insecurities or you have self-doubts, all this drug stuff is going to do is make your um, – mental facilities worse, but here's something interesting. I, I don't think I mentioned this on cats at night. If I did stop me, I was walking out of Madison square garden a few weeks ago. And my son was 19 and we're out in the, in, in it's about 5:30 at night and we're walking down open air, obviously. And the smell of marijuana is overwhelming. Yep. And in all parts of the city now from 8am until two in the morning, Marijuana is everywhere. You just can't get away from it. And my son was appalled. He doesn't take drugs. And, and I looked at him and I said, you know, this is good for you. Because all of these younger people, your generation, who are doing all this intoxicating stuff, they're not going to be able to compete with you. I agree. It's going to hurt.
3: Bill, be, be before, hurt. Be, hold them back. before we go to a break in a little while, I think we still have another three, four minutes. Uh, I know where it came from. And I'm going to tell you where it came from because I grew up in uh, uh, Harlem and there was never a problem in Harlem. The problem started. It wasn't World War Two. It wasn't Korea. It was after Vietnam. They started they started coming. the, the, The our soldiers started coming back as drug addicts. They infiltrated the inner cities and the crime began. And then the other thing, Senator Moynihan did a project that in in nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, when Senator Moynihan was a senator, thirty uh, percent uh, he was appalled that thirty percent of the inner circle families were one parent families, and because the kids would go out and uh, and get get in trouble, and you know that was the, one of the reasons I got involved in police athletically. Now, it's not 30% anymore, 70% of the inner circle, inner city, inner city uh, parents are now one-parent families, and that's a whole lot of kids to take care of.
0: John, I, I know uh, on one hand fairly well. When he did that report, he started in the 60s into the 70s. Yes. He was attacked as a racist, as a Oops. bigot. And he said it was a form of white racism to be talking about the inner-city families. Didn't Yet he have totally the great right.
5: phrase, defining deviancy, deviancy down? down. down. Yeah. And by legalizing marijuana, and next is the, is the harder drugs, you're starting to make it more acceptable to do these things that were unacceptable back in the day, that were a little taboo, right?
2: Well, w- one problem with the way that marijuana has legalization has been rolled out in New York, it was decriminalized before they gave the license licenses to the legitimate sellers. So you have this whack-a-mole situation of these storefronts just opening up illegally, willy-nilly, which creates this feeling of chaos and kind of who's in charge here. No one. And meanwhile, at the same time, I'm concerned that that's going to undercut the legitimate guys when they actually open because you can buy this other stuff. I have a correction. Yes,
3: go. Father Alex Carlusos, vicar general of the Archdiocese, just texted me, uh... It was Malcolm X, not Muhammad Ali. Who said Muhammad? Did somebody say Muhammad Ali before?
0: No, no. Bill said that they ruined Muhammad Ali. Elijah Muhammad, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bill said that's, right. no, that's correct. Yes, that's correct. Bill is absolutely
3: correct. Muhammad Ali.
0: Bill is never wrong.
3: All right. Uh, Thank you. I'm going to be listening to you at nine o'clock tonight, between nine and ten, the number one show on WABC in the evening, uh, on WABCRadio.com on 770 and on our dial, and on your iPhone on 77 WABC. What are you going to talk about at 9 o'clock tonight, Bill O'Reilly?
4: We have pretty interesting analysis of the five police officers who killed a 29-year-old in Memphis. Um, hmm. And it's inexplicable because they killed themselves at the same time. There's six lives destroyed here. And why? So we have a guest on who knows the Memphis Um, government and police agencies, and that's my lead, and I think people will be fascinated to hear what is going on in that city.
2: Great. We will definitely be tuning in. Bill O'Reilly, thank you so much. It is always good to hear your voice.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to Cats at Night. We've got John Katsimatidis, Judge Weinberg, Tony Carbonetti. We have Peter King. I'm Laura Curran. And on the phone with us from sunny, beautiful Florida is Attorney General Ashley Moody. Ashley, welcome to Cats at Night. Ah, Great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. So immigration and the issue of migrants is very big all over the country, but you're feeling it especially in your state in Florida. What's going on? What's the latest down there?
7: Yeah, we we are. In fact, uh, we've been fighting this from the first month of this administration when they started putting out executive orders to essentially break down the security infrastructure at the border. And since then, as you have seen, there have been record numbers of folks not only encountered at the border, but those who have escaped any sort of apprehension. And it's just incomprehensible at this time what we're now facing as, as a security threat here in the United States, uh, we're seeing record numbers of those on the terrorist watch list uh, encountered. I mean, you know, almost 260% more than the last five years combined. It's not like a small increase. Uh, And in Florida, when Governor DeSantis and I visited the border, law enforcement, as they were overwhelmed, you know, advised us, look, when we encounter these folks, seven out of 10 say they're going to Florida. And we saw that when the Biden administration stopped enforcing the laws we started seeing an affect uh, in our in our communities and so it's it's a it is going to be a, a challenge for the united states moving forward and we'll keep obviously pushing back in court and forcing this administration to follow the law
2: you know it's also states uh, hard for the states and the and the local municipalities that actually have to handle these people and you know they're human beings their families And we have compassion. We want what's best for them, but we also need to make sure that they're being taken care of, as is the rest of our country. And that's a really hard balance.
7: Well, no one would ever suggest that, you know, if you're human, you have compassion for folks that would go through such lengths and Mm -hmm. dangers to move into a a new country. Absolutely. But Mm -hmm. the, the challenge for states is that, with, with no structure, with no vetting, mm-hmm. you know, one of the first things we had to deal with in Florida is many of our sheriffs said, look, the Biden administration have stopped deporting those that have come here illegally, that weren't vetted, that are committing crimes in our state, and we're having to detain them, and now they won't deport them. That was never, never uh, up for debate or discussion in any prior administration, Democratic, re- Republican, they all followed that federal law that required deportation of people here and and we're not just talking small crimes burglary heroin trafficking i mean i could go on and on Mm. Uh, these are all people that the biden administration was no longer deporting so we had to bring suit the supreme court is gonna hear that issue um but you know again it is it is what can we bear in terms of the intake of those into our states and country that may ultimately be dependent on taxpayers Mm-hmm. how much are we able to you know open up our communities uh and bear this and and i would i would say the the way the biden administration has gone about it is pretty much the most fiscally irresponsible and and, and with really reckless disregard for the security of this nation and i and i say that as a former federal prosecutor and judge and now as attorney general
3: attorney general uh, moody uh uh, G- uh, Governor DeSantis uh, on I think Saturday morning put out a, a tweet that uh, people are selling fentanyl and killing the kids in Florida uh, should have a, what was uh, was it a life sentence or something? Tell us about it.
7: Well, you saw the DEA come out and, and what's so interesting about that is that this is an agency that is under the president. It's, it's under President Biden and they have come out all along and said, you know, fentanyl is one of the most dangerous drugs we've seen because of the potency and because of the sheer supply that has now been rushed and flooded into our country by the Mexican drug cartels. And, you know, as we saw this, you know, taking shape, we noticed that not only were these drugs being packaged in candy wrapping, uh, candy boxes, they're now being manufactured in these bright colored candy, you know, uh, colors and the and the governor, as he should be, is quite concerned because we so we see so many children now being exposed to fentanyl. Uh, he you know he came out very strongly on this. Said uh, you know we're going to make this uh, an increased penalty if if you're manufacturing fentanyl, which is so deadly, or packaging it uh, in a what looks like a food product or a candy box, that won't be tolerated in Florida. We're not going to bear that. Uh, we're going to come at you hard. And I'm really proud of this governor because he has really stood up for, uh, you know, facing head on some of these challenges that we are tackling. And and truly, to some extent, we're we're facing these challenges because the administration has allowed this just breakdown at our southern border and allowed the cartels to have such
3: power. What parrot could ever say that he did anything wrong? I mean, you try to kill my kids by feeding them that crap, then you should you you don't deserve to live on this earth. Judge Weinberg, Ashley, uh, welcome back to Catch at Night.
6: When you and I were talking this morning, you raised the issue of what's going on in Rhode Island, where they're doing fundraising through the schools to uh, take care of paying off uh, traffickers. Could you explain that to us, please? Yeah, and,
7: this, and this is one of the things you know we talk about fentanyl. And just last week, I pushed out a report that showed that. Children under the age of 14 are the fastest-growing demographic in terms of what, what fentanyl is killing. I think the number quadrupled. But you know, we, we turn to Rhode Island, and we see a, a high school assistant principal pushing out an email school-wide, wanting to raise money to pay off a coyote
6: What's from a, a coyote personal actually
7: debt of somebody who they smuggled over and into the country. And, again, this goes back to, you know, people are hesitant, and I understand that, because nobody wants to see other people in harm's way or living uh, in, in situations that uh, that that we wouldn't dream of here, although, you know, there's a lot to be done in our own country. But this is blackmail, things. isn't it? When when this is you, a payoff. When you push out an email raising money to help raise money for the cartels that smuggled, smuggled people here, you are raising money. For fentanyl traffickers, you are raising money for cartels that that commit atrocious violence. I can tell you as a federal prosecutor, we went after some of these guys, and they will commit such heinous acts of violence. And sheriffs now here in the United States are saying the cartels are now so emboldened, their violence is spilling over into our state. I mean, just a sheriff in California said, look, we just had a cartel-style execution of numerous people, including a mother and a child. So to see someone trying to raise money to pay off a coyote, a cartel member, all of that money supports that violence and the trafficking, and people aren't thinking about that. Well, people aren't thinking about that. The more you. we support them, the more control they have in this country, and more violence yeah. they can inflict on our own citizens.
3: Thank you, Attorney General. Uh, we have to take a break right now, but thank you for, for 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 coming on, and we want to talk to you some more. So. We're going to talk to you later on this week or next week, but thank you for what you're doing for uh, the American people.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Bob, welcome to Cats at Night.
8: Thank you very much uh, to you all.
2: And um, I love your food. I got to tell you, I love your products. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug.
8: The best beans I've ever had. Really
2: good. My go to. Um, well, so I, I
8: love you guys.
2: We were talking with the AG of Florida just now about trafficking. And January, this month, is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. This is. A really big problem that most people don't want to know about. They don't want to think about. It is inconceivable in so many ways. And I know that this is an issue that you're very concerned about. Uh, tell us. Tell us why.
8: Well, it's the one of the largest. Industries uh, in the world It's a $250 billion Business, it's up there with Drug trafficking and and actually they're using Children and and people to Traffic these uh, drugs And the only thing up At that level is also arms sales So trafficking of People is It's all about the industry The money, making a profit On the abuse And and actual uh, You know Lack of, of care for life. I just watch. I, I travel a lot. I was just on a airplane coming from Spain. and I watched Schindler's List again, mm-hmm. and to see the the you know what was sown as hatred and and, and uh, you know from one person to another, the absolute. Devaluing of life, and this is what's happening uh, in this world, and it's it's just creating the ambience Everything, the only thing that matters is the profit. So again, it's a two hundred and fifty billion dollar business. We're trying to, with Goya Cares, we're trying to organize as many groups as we can to come together and combat this problem because it's so big that we need you know all the you know the wonderful people and groups that are out there to come together and and see how we can combat this to care about the child. Uh, the town which we're in here and I'm in Texas right now. You know, we have locations all over the world. But in Brookshire, Texas, this is out, just outside of Houston. In this town, 70% of the kids have no father present. Mm. You know, my father passed away many years ago, 1976. And you know, I always thought of him as my hero. And, and, but today you have all these children that don't have the father present. You know, we're, we're attacking the man. We're attacking the father. We're attacking the family. We're not valuing life. We're, you know, and, and it's leading to all these children so Bob, that are victimized.
5: Bob, it's Tony Carbonetti. So when the traffickers get the people here to the states, they then have to pay them back to work off the, the, the debt they've incurred, correct? So w- w- where are they then using them to work? Like, how do we not infiltrate those facilities that they're, you know, they're
6: prostitution? Prostitution is one but, of the but key But it, It's, it's yeah. prostitution,
5: but it's other form of work as well, right? It's not just women they're
8: doing; they're doing.
6: Well, but it's prostitution it's drug. It's drugs. So how do we, how we mean, not they infiltrate use these in those organizations?
8: But not just people coming across the borders. In our neighborhoods, Houston is one of the biggest uh, sex trafficking cities in the country. You know, New York, L.A., Atlanta, because you have know, the airports there, Florida, Texas. You know, they are border towns. But there's, we have people in our firm that their kids, they go off to college, they, they put a, a, a drug in their drink, and they're gone. They're into – there's so much money in prostitution. And, and they're taking kids younger and younger every day or kids going into college. And and it's all about – they're the vehicle. They have no value. They're the vehicle to sell drugs.
2: Bob, real quick, what can people do to help?
8: Uh, we have a, an organization, go to Goya Cares, but we, we're all these organizations. We're not a foundation, but they can go to all these great uh, – join up and – join all these organizations that are working to eradicate sex trafficking and child trafficking.
2: Get informed and be part of the solution. Thank you so much for Thank bringing you, this to our Bob, attention. Thank uh,
3: you, Bob, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Hello and welcome back to Cats at Night. So you may have seen uh, the article op-ed in the New York Post a couple days ago by Douglas Schoen and Andrew Stein. Two Democrats, I might add. Uh, The headline, Democrats ignore crime at their peril as well as New York's. And I can say, gentlemen, as a Democrat, this is an issue that is incredibly frustrating for me because I think it is terrible for my party, and it has been, as we've seen over the past couple of election cycles. And it's not great for the state either. And it hurt you in particular. Well, yes, but (laughs) not that everything's about me, but yes, Yes. that's absolutely true. I'm saying it, yeah. And I feel like my, my situation in 2021 was a bit of a canary in a coal mine, and I had hoped, John that uh, my Democratic colleagues would have seen it for that. But it seems like they're doubling down. Douglas Schoen, Andrew Stein, what do you think?
4: Well, I'll I'll start and let Andrew conclude. But I think, as Nancy Pelosi said, it was the New York congressional election defeat. I think it was five total seats that cost Democrats control of the house, and if we give up control as a party because we won't get rid of cashless bail, uh, liberal criminal justice policies, uh, then we as a are really, really making terrible decisions.
2: It's not a good. Well, one. this is uh,
9: this is Andrew, and of course I agree with Doug. Uh, and um there's something wrong with the people in the legislature and with Kathy Hochul because it's so obvious just looking at the statistics or living in, in uh New York that if people commit crimes uh that uh and they get out of jail The same day or the next day after they uh, rob or hurt people, um, it doesn't make sense. So it is very frustrating for Democrats like Doug and myself, we're common sense Democrats, to see what uh, the legislature and people like Hochul are, are doing. Uh, you look at this case where uh, Adam Quatz, who was a, a meteorologist for Fox News, was beaten uh, by some kids, and uh, and 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 they were, you know, sixteen, seventeen, so they were treated as minors, and uh, they were out of jail the same day. And Andy, this is PT. Just Pete had King. to stop.
0: You know, it wasn't just kids giving a guy a hard time; they were putting a guy on fire. When, you know, Klotz jumped in. So this wasn't some minor pickpocketing. This, this was a violent crime, and yet the kids are out of jail.
6: Yeah, uh, it's, Andy it's
9: disgraceful.
6: And, Andy and Doug, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. Look, what they've done is they've passed a series of—
9: Judge, how are you?
6: Andy, it's good to hear your voice. Let's be clear. They've <clears> not just the bail issue, but the raise the age issue, the open file discovery issue, the fact that they will not deal with recidivism— the proper way, what you've done is they've created a climate of lawlessness. And every time you speak to them, they say, well, let's see, we'll see more statistics. The statistics are there. And how many more innocent victims do we have to have before Hochul and Stuart Cousins and Hasty wake up and understand it's a moral responsibility to protect and defend the citizens of this state?
0: Also, I will ask you two Democrats, you know, Nancy Pelosi is criticizing <laughs> Hochul. I don't know what Nancy Pelosi would have done differently because her policies in Washington are the same. She's a San Francisco liberal. And again, I get along with her personally, but she is a down-the-line left-wing progressive. Look. Well, yeah,
4: uh, she
9: just she just didn't want to lose the, uh, the House, but uh, she, she's part of the problem, too. The Democratic Party uh, has to wake up because uh, letting criminals go uh, the same day— uh, or the next day, after really hurting people and and these stores in the Bronx, the post had a piece where merchants in the Bronx are having to hire private security uh for their stores, and they can't afford it so um they um, gotta wake up. They're really meatheads in in God. Albany, and and uh, they gotta wake up, or or the city is just hemorrhaging uh, people.
5: Guys, it's Tony Carbonetti. We've seen this before. Okay, we're all New Yorkers. New York has a vibe. New York really has a pulse to it. So you get back to the '80s when we lost our neighborhoods to the drug dealers. Yeah, you know, I'm from a neighborhood. I'm from East Harlem. It used to be Italian Harlem, where you actually had the old ladies sitting outside talking, the old guys playing cards. We lost the neighborhood. They were forced indoors by the drug dealers and the street crimes. When you walk around, it's almost having that same feel. And if and
9: Rudy Giuliani, you got to get look, Rudy uh, cleaned it one thousand uh, percent, cleaned
5: it up. But but look at how bad it had to get before we elected Rudy Giuliani. I don't want to get back to that. I have two daughters. Let me tell you something. They can't grow up in the same New York City. They're not made to grow up in the same New York City I grew up in. Okay, their head isn't on a swivel because they've had 20 years of Giuliani and Bloomberg and then a couple years of that schmuck de Blasio, but he didn't ruin it as fast as, as is going right now. Because you had but, Bill Bratton there the first two years. That's right. And, and Bratton was a savior.
2: We're actually going to be speaking to Bratton at the end of the show, towards the end of the show. But I would say, you know, as a Democrat, I can understand why some reforms were needed. But as I said at the time when these laws came down, were approved and signed, I said it's too much too fast. And the consequences are can be very bad. And it, unfortunately, it turns out that that's the case. Why is it that politicians have to go whole hog on something how about slowly, there's nuance, there's tweaks, instead of just doing the entire thing because, all the way 100%. Because they
7: did that, Laura, Press they conference. did
6: that bill yeah. in the middle of the night. It was drafted by defense lawyers, DAs were not part of the discussion, judges were not part of the discussion, law enforcement was And they voted part of the for discussion. 3 o'clock in the morning.
3: 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was part of a budget deal. So nobody read it? No, nobody and, understood and, and it. And nobody will admit voting for it because they voted for the budget and this was exactly. input in the cover. middle of the budget. That and got and
2: got you know, I, I have to give Douglas and Andrew some props because as a Democrat, when you speak out against this stuff, you really do get maligned. You really do get uh, punished. I and I've experienced that Democrats, myself.
3: And I've said this. The Democrats uh, have to have the courage to stand up and say enough is enough. Well,
0: Lori's one of the few that has. Give it credit.
3: Good. Thanks, Pete. I'll take some credit. we got to take a break. <laughs> Doug Schoen, thank you so much for uh, you, what you John. do. And uh, Andy Stein, always my brother. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks,
1: guys. Thank you, John. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network coming
3: back uh, with Dr. Peter Mihalos, and uh, he's our in-house genius, whether it's medicine, whether it's science, whether it's things that he feels that people should know. Dr. Mihalos, uh, good evening, and how are you feeling today?
10: I'm doing great, John, and uh, I actually trained in auto mechanics as well in high school, so I have an interest in cars, and tonight we're going to talk about electric cars. And some fascinating news came out of the Anderson Economic Group, which did an analysis of electric cars. And for the first time, they said that for every 100 miles that you run an electric car, it costs uh, it costs more than running a gasoline car. So that was very, very interesting that it actually cost $3 less per 100 miles to operate a gas-powered vehicle. If you... Power if you uh, do it commercially, if you charge it commercially. So basically, it's turning out that electric cars are indirectly coal and oil powered. So, electricity
3: is, you need electricity for the electric cars, and electricity is generated by oil and by coal and by. Whatever else, yeah, like a, nuclear. In there's the no purity.
2: There's no purity in uh, running yeah. your car, no there's matter how you run out. it. But Doctor, Doctor Mikolos, I am a proud and out owner of electric cars. Uh, so I have solar panels on the house, so my cars are powered by solar. So I'm feeling very virtuous right now. And there was one little detail in that in that study that said if it's a bigger electric car, like a luxury kind of car, you still are saving a bit of money.
10: Yeah, you, well, you might. But you know how much uh, that luxury car is. costs? Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of money.
2: It's a lot of cabbage. Uh, I'll sell you the Brooklyn you Bridge. How much you want to pay? To
10: be, <laughs> if you have to replace your battery, it can be anywhere from 14000 to $24,000. Yeah. And then the That's other thing confident. that we talked about.
2: And, and the batteries alone use, use really
10: important minerals. You're also sitting inside a, a cage that's uh, producing EMF that we still don't know what that's doing to the human body with four giant electric motors spinning while you have kids in the car and you have EMF and you have Bluetooth and you have Wi-Fi bouncing around in a metal box. So we still don't really know what. Oh
2: God, I'm going to take that, the that's
11: bus. Turn <laughs> <that's right, laughs> right, no, in that's your, that's
2: your car. your car.
10: There's no AM radio in there because there's so many powerful EMF and uh, waves going around and EMF energy that an AM radio can't even operate an electric car. So that's, that's another. Issue. I'm gonna
3: buy Laura. I'm gonna buy Laura that uh, meter that when she's in the inside right. her Tesla, she can see how much uh, uh, how excess much? radiation is in there. I don't think I want to know. <laughs> How much does that yeah, I mean? Uh, buy me an extra one. I'm going to give it to Laura Aww, as a present. You're sweet.
10: Thank the you. other issue is that these batteries, that in extreme heat and cold, they might advertise a certain mileage, but in cold climates like the Northeast, they don't go that far That's in cold true. weather. Doctor, what, happens, cold,
6: what happens when it rains with these cars? They get well, wet.
10: The, the rain, the bigger issue is that when there's flooding, as we actually called it out on WABC, when there's salt water, They tend to short out and when they do have these fires they produce hydrogen cyanide gas and the problem is the rescuers have a problem when they have to rescue somebody because if you have to use jaws of life you have the potential of being electrocuted and one of the body shops I spoke to said they're terrified of electric cars when they come in because they have to make sure they disconnect the batteries properly so no one gets electrocuted and also when they get into a crash for example. There was just a, a, a side crash uh, uh, in a Tesla that cost seventy two thousand, but it would cost forty three thousand to repair it. So the insurance companies now are totaling a lot of electric cars because it costs more to repair them than to actually. And, and you in know. Florida,
3: I understand we didn't talk. We talked to Attorney General Moody today, but uh, previously we spoke to uh, what is it, our CFO John Petronas, Was it yes? Or was- that's and, and, and no. he said the, because of the hurricanes and them getting, and the batteries getting, uh, uh, wet in, uh, salt water and the hurricanes, uh, that they started to, uh, what? Get, catch fire and explode. And if you, you're not allowed to keep it inside your home garage because your whole home is going to come down. Oh, what what have
5: Turn I done? Turn in your keys, what Laura. Am I Turn t- in your keys. <laughs>
2: Turn my phone. So every,
5: everyone that owns an electric vehicle just ran into the, the kitchen to put their head in the oven. The problem is <laughs> the problem is they <laughs> have Was an electric gas? oven. Was it a gas
6: oven or w- an electric, or electric oven? oven so it didn't work.
2: <laughs> That's right. Dr. Michalos, you've given <laughs> us a lot to think about. Uh, thank you so much for joining us.
10: No problem. Peter, Always, we uh, miss you
1: in New
2: York City.
10: All right. We'll be in touch and stay healthy. Thank you. you.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: So it's my pleasure to someone, uh, to introduce someone I covered a little when I was at the Daily News back in the fun 90s, which was a great decade to be a young person in New York City. Kamish, Bill Bratton, welcome to Cats at Night.
11: It's good to be with all of you. Good evening.
2: So uh, we were laughing, but now we're going to stop laughing because I wanted to talk to you about something that's really uh, impacting seismically our nation right now, and that is the uh, situation down in Memphis. And I, I wanted to get your perspective on that as someone who's been in policing for decades.
11: Okay. So what's uh, what's the perspective you're looking for? There are many.
0: <laughs> okay, Bill. This is Pete King. What do you think about the charge that there's a police culture that uh, uh, causes these and should be federal control of the police?
11: I'm not supportive of that, that uh, you've got uh, issues with individuals and issues with groups like this group, uh, but uh, it it doesn't permeate the whole police culture. Uh, Police culture is made up of 800,000 individuals. Uh, Is there a culture within a department? Is there a culture within a unit? Is there a culture within a squad? Certainly. And uh, as somebody who's had to change cultures, uh, the LAPD, for example, that uh, terrible uh, uh, culture in that department when I went out there in 2002. Uh, But is it systemic across the United States in every department, every officer? No, not at all. You have to look at them individually and uh, uh, so that, that issue of changing the culture. And there are many cultures within policing that is, uh, you know, sometimes you want a proactive culture when you're dealing with, as they are in Memphis, serious crime. Other times you want a, a culture that's more laid back in a community that, uh, well, Peter, many of the communities uh, out here in Long Island that uh, don't require a, a, an aggressive or assertive police culture because they just don't have the crime levels that they have in many of the country's inner cities. So it's uh, uh, trying to uh, paint with a broad brush is inappropriate. Uh, it's much like the uh, uh, defund the police movement. Now you have this movement about uh, get rid of all these specialized units. Uh, if you think it was bad after uh, uh, the George Floyd incident in terms of crime going up, get rid of these specialized units, and it'll go crime will go through the roof. They're an essential part of policing, but it's essential that you manage them. It's essential that you set the rules, the guidelines, and you manage those rules and guidelines. Phenomenal deficiencies in that department. It's one of the most crime-ridden cities in America, most dangerous city in America for several years, actually. And uh, you have leadership issues, you have staffing issues, you have recruiting issues, you have policy issues. Uh, the after-action review of this place is going to be very interesting because it's, uh, it's everywhere anyway you look, there's a problem.
5: Bill, it's Tony Carbonetti. How
11: are you? Very good, good afternoon.
5: Well, you, I think you just hit the the nail on the head by saying you can't get rid of these specialized units because you're then throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're going to come back a year from now and you're going to say crime is spiked, there's more guns on the street, there's more drugs on the street. there's you know well, We
11: have we have that in New York yeah. uh, when they disbanded for a variety of reasons the anti-crime unit here in New York before they had a chance to bring it back. Crime started going through the roof uh, in large part because of a lot of the legislative changes that were made. But uh, uh, Los Angeles, Los Angeles a few years back after George Floyd uh, basically uh, pulled back their gang units out of South LA and within a short period of time, crime down there went through the roof. What do they do? They had to basically bring back the gang units into South LA again. Now these units work, they're essential, it's, but it, it the average cop is a generalist. He's busy responding to 911 calls. He's busy doing the things that cops do every day. This type of serious crime like Memphis is experiencing in certain areas of New York experiencing require specialists and they did not use specialists, unfortunately, yep. in Memphis. They had kids who were on the job a year or two, didn't even have street experience, had, by all accounts, almost no supervision, and no follow-up to, they were celebrating as recently as a week <clears> ago <throat> the success of this unit, all the arrests they're making, etc. Now they're coming out of the woodwork about the problems with all these arrests. So when you set these units up, you've got to closely monitor them, track them, uh, the effectively what they do with these things oftentimes is they look at the end result without looking at how was that end result result achieved. In Memphis, quite obviously, it was achieved with bad policing.
5: Well, when I watched this video, I-, I could tell right away that it was the cops that are used to dealing with the scum of the earth found themselves a good, honest citizen, and it didn't clash well.
11: Well, yeah. that first video, it starts right at the first video in the sense of how bad this uh, unit Why was. Why are they pulling of- someone over? Well, we don't know. We don't even know that because that chances be are they, That's didn't not what to do. they didn't call <clears throat> it. They in. It's the <clears throat> fact that their records evidently don't indicate that the officer's even called in that they were doing a, a stop. But then watching the video <clears throat> of uh, as soon as they pulled this car over, or it might have even been stopped at a red light when they pulled up on it, that the officer charges to the driver's side doors, pulls it open, and pulls this guy out. Thank God this guy was, in fact, uh, for the cops involved, uh, not a serious criminal with a gun. because he would have shot that cop to death as he opened that damn door. The procedures for approaching cars and traffic mm-hmm. stops are clearly defined and trained. Right from the beginning, this thing was a, screw- a total
0: screw-up. Mm-hmm. Bill, when you, were, uh, commissioner, when you became commissioner, there's over 2,000 murders in New York. Over the next 15 years, it went down to around... 300 between yourself, Ray Kelly, you again, when you came back in. So how many thousands of lives were saved, particularly black lives, because they were the main victims of those 2,000 murders?
11: Well, if you're talking on average probably 1,500 a year over 20 years, uh, it starts adding up to a gigantic number. And it's also the uh, all the other costs to society, all the people that are injured in all these shootings. Uh, half these characters you see roaming around uh, in the inner city in wheelchairs are oftentimes people who unfortunately were victims of uh, shootings. And so the healthcare costs are phenomenal in and of themselves. No, in terms of uh, these aggressive units, uh, they're essentialists. You have a generalist. We all have doctors. We all have a, a local doctor that we go to. But you don't want him doing heart surgery on you. Well, same thing. And With violent crime, the average cop just doesn't have the training to take on the amount of violent crime in the inner city. That's why you have these specialized units with the specialized training. The, uh, they're free from the 911 calls. But it's exactly what uh, Eric Adams just did with the gun unit they now call it, New York. They used to call it the anti-crime unit, that he basically, uh, uh, he and his new commissioner, uh, they did a lot of vetting to get seasoned cops into this unit, did a lot of training with them. And they've been in place now for almost a year. Uh, they were just recently celebrating the number of guns they've gotten out of the street. And knock on woods they've not had, uh, at least they were aware of, an incident like this.
0: Also, and, Bill, you know, the NYPD has millions of encounters with cops, with, with uh, bad guys every, every year, and 99.9% of them go okay.
11: The, 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 what is not always drives me crazy, as you can appreciate, Peter, as the uh, commissioner twice in that department. The NYPD uh, basically uh, <coughs> is a police force that uses de minimis amounts of force. When mm-hmm. I was police commissioner in 1994 95, as we were taking the city back, when we had those 2,000 murders, half a million crimes, that On average, the department uh, had, uh, during the course of the arrest, fewer than 100 serious injuries, and that was oftentimes with people resisting arrest in the sense of broken bones or serious injuries, and it still has a phenomenal uh, record as it relates to injuries incurred during courses of arrest with people resisting arrest all the time, and just the amount of shootings. you got 35,000 cops. And there's fewer than uh, uh, 50 shootings a year with fewer than a dozen deaths a year in the NYPD. Bill
3: Bratton, you did a phenomenal job as commissioner. Thank you for serving the people of the city of New York and speaking out for their well-being again.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.